0: Good morning, everyone. Um, For those of you who are guests this morning, my name is Jeff, and I am one of the pastors of this church, and I'd like to lead us in the scripture reading for this morning. Um, It comes from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 34, and so if you could give ear to the reading of God's holy word. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is the word of the Lord. I have the uh, privilege of introducing our guest speaker this morning. Uh, Pastor Nick Davis was the lead pastor of Redemption Church in San Diego uh, for many years, from 2017 until last year. He's contributed to various publications like the Gospel Coalition, Christianity Today, Modern Reformation, and many more. I can go on and on. I find him to be a very thoughtful, uh, reflective pastor of of the Lord. He's married to his wife, Gina. They have three sons, and he has come here on this Father's Day. Um, And so let's give him a warm welcome at this time.
1: Well, it's Father's Day for you, too, so happy Father's Day. Um, It's great to be here with you all. In some ways, I had deja vu. Um, I used to pastor a church in Irvine. I was an assistant pastor back then. Uh, It was about eight or nine years ago now. And so, you know, driving up I-5, I just had flashbacks to what we used to do every Sunday. Um, So, anyways, great to be here um, with all of you. So, good morning. Well, um, sometimes uh, things happen in life that we just... Uh, don't understand and we have a hard time comprehending Um, can bring up many examples of this but one uh, example in our neighborhood uh, there were two teenagers that were driving a car Uh, well one was in one vehicle another one was in another one and they decided to race Um, and they were you know testosterone fueled teens so that's just you know they were excited to just do this and uh, they were speeding down a 45 mile an hour uh, road um, residential area and uh, one of the vehicles collided with another vehicle that had two teenage girls in it. One of the girls didn't make it. Um, That's one example of these things that happen in life that are hard to understand. And when these things happen, our reaction to these things are it's not fair, right? It's not fair that... Out of the survivors, right, the teenager in the vehicle who made the dumb choice to drive the car fast lives. And the little girl, teenage girl, who was just driving that night with her friend didn't survive. It's not fair. I think we have a lot of these it's not fair moments in life. And the passage this morning that I want to explore Is just that. It's an it's not fair moment. I think we can really relate to that. We can resonate with it. And I wanted to point this out and dive into this text because it's Father's Day. And I think that we find a good glimpse of the heart of our God, right? We're saying he's a good, good father. That's who he is. And that is who this God is. He is a good father. He loves his children, not just sons. I have three boys. Father of three boys. We tried, right? <laughs> People always ask, Are you going to go for four? Nope. Because <laughs> we know what's going to come out. It's going to be a boy. <laughs> no surprise there, right? Which is, would be great. I'd be happy to have four boys, but I can't imagine. So we're, we're done at three. Um, but this passage explores a daughter. And um, I think, you know, equally, God loves all of his children. He loves sons. He loves daughters. And so we're going to look at that this morning. Um, Our first uh, point, if you're a points person, you can uh, write this down. If not, ignore it. But our first point this morning is uh, it's not fair. And the second point I want to explore is um, God is good all of the time. Kind of a but. But God is good all the time because it's not fair. So those two realities, they're kind of juxtaposed, but they're both true. And so let's talk about them. First of all, it's not fair. So To give a little bit of context, Jesus is on the um, west shore in Capernaum, a city, a town. And this same Jesus, he previously calmed the wild storm. He's the same Jesus who cast a legion of demons out of a man uh, into the pigs, if you remember that, in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, now we're about to witness this other set of miracles in chapter 5. I'm going to reread just a few verses here. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat... To the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he, that's Jesus, went with him. So, like any good father, Jairus, this man, he's a father of this child. Loved his daughter to death, right? Would do anything for this little girl. And Jairus belonged to a group in the synagogue, the religious leaders of the day. He was one of them, an elder. He had much to risk and much to personally lose by coming to this very controversial Jesus of Nazareth. But he was, it was worth the risk in his opinion, This is a father who's acting in desperation, doing everything he can possibly do to save his own daughter's life, right? We can relate to that. If you're a parent, you know, if you're a daughter or a son, hopefully you've experienced that kind of love. And if not, there's a God who will give you that kind of love, I can assure you. But all this father wants is for his little girl to be healthy. And so Jesus went with him. And that simple phrase We see this Jesus continuing the work he has set out to do. He was well known in this region for being able to heal the sick. That is his reputation. Jesus is the doctor of the sick. He is the great physician. Do you know this to be true of Jesus? I hope you will find that out. I hope you will learn to hear this Jesus calling to you, offering you healing, offering you comfort being a physician of your soul. Verse 24, it continues here. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who suffered much under many physicians, had spent all she had, was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. So maybe if you're a a attentive person, you've already picked up this, but how many years old is the daughter in this story? Anybody want to take a guess? Oh, come on. Twelve. Yeah, thank you. I heard twelve. A couple of you said it, just twelve. 12. I'm mean, going to say it loud. You're right. 12 years old is this girl. And for 12 years, this woman has had this problem. Right? There's a similarity here that we're supposed to see. It's not a coincidence. Many commentators will label this, what's going on here, as a Markin sandwich. Uh, Mark starts with this story. He interrupts that story with a different story, uh, only to finish with the very first story. And we're not even getting to that one as much. We're just focusing on this woman with the discharge, but both of these stories are related, and they're intertwined to show us something important, and we'll get to that. But as people kind of distant and removed from these ancient stories, we can see this, and it might make sense as we dissect it far off, but I want to encourage us just to dive into the sandals of Jairus, the synagogue leader, dive into his perspective of what he might be going through in this story. He just got down on his knees, and he begged Jesus to heal his daughter, and Jesus agrees, and they get started on their way, so you can just almost feel the hope, right? The excitement this dad has that his little girl is going to be okay. Hmm. So come on quickly, Jesus. Let's go, right? She's dying. She needs your help. You are this physician that, that people say you are, and I know, and you promise me now you're going to do this for her. Suddenly, there's this interruption. And something else comes along. The hope begins to fade. Suddenly, the prospect of his daughter being healed fades to black. Suddenly, someone else's needs matter a little bit more than his greatest need right now. I think maybe the, the closest parallel to this uh, is... Uh, Have you ever been to the ER before? Anybody? Can I just by show of hands? Anybody been to the ER? Okay. Or you've had to take somebody to the ER? Well, unless you are bleeding, right, externally, (laughs) tremendously, like your arm's chopped off or something, you're not going to get seen right away, right? Because why? Well, there's other needs that are of greater importance, right? And there's only so many doctors to go around at one time. And so it's just not... You might have a very urgent need, but somebody else's could be more urgent. I bring this up because Jairus's situation is pretty terminal. His daughter is dying. His daughter was dying. Her illness couldn't wait much longer, in fact. And we see that in this story as it unfolds. And this woman with a discharge, well, she had lived for 12 years already. What's just a few more minutes or so, Right? to wait until after maybe Jesus deals with Jairus' daughter first before switching things up. It's not fair, right? I mean, this is, this is the, the, at the beginning of the, the message, what I shared, right? That, 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 that impulse that we have, it's not fair, Jesus. It's not fair, Lord. It's not fair, God, that this is happening to me. You know, what else isn't fair? The woman with the discharge who uh, had this problem, she was a woman who shouldn't have been there in the first place. I'm going to explain that. Um, The kind of discharge that she has uh, in this culture, in this time, this religious context, it actually made her religiously unclean. And... Uh, In the Old Testament, the place where uh, people worship God, uh, uh, God is holy in this place, right? Uh, So holy that simply by touching the stuff inside the tabernacle or the temple in these holy places, right, that that would make a person more holy. You can read Exodus 29 or 30 for that, for examples. But physical touch even transmitted holiness. And conversely, physical touch transmits uncleanliness. And so the very presence of this woman, right, with a constant hemorrhage, well, that's a problem because religiously she could never be clean. She was always in the category of being religiously unclean, an outcast. That means she had to live her life outside of the temple. She could never be in the place of worship to worship God with God's people. She was unclean. And so notice in verse 26, it says... She had gone to many doctors. She spent everything she had, and she just kept getting worse. With the more, every dollar she spent, she got worse. So not only could she not worship God, she's religiously unclean, right, like with the lepers in society. But she's also like a poor beggar because she has no money. So culturally, socially, religiously, this is a person who is on the out, Outcast, orphan, a nobody. It's not fair that a religiously unclean outcast should receive special attention from Jesus. Or we can understand why Jesus might help the elder of a synagogue. Can you imagine the, the social impact and the reach? Right. I mean, this kind of a story just upsets our religious impulses like crazy when we look at it. But it's also how the God of the Old and New Testament, how this God works. Often, He works in His timing, not ours. His thoughts are not our thoughts, as we confess this morning. But have you ever had to wait on the Lord for a prayer to be answered? And um, uh, for example, I prayed for my uh, grandfather, one of my grandfathers, to become a Christian since I was a little boy. And it wasn't until the very end of his life where that prayer actually came true, right? There were many times where I questioned, Lord, are you even hearing me? (laughs) Are you deaf, God? Why are you silent, right? Why are you not acting? And he did it in his timing, not mine. Thank God. So if we're a Jairus, right, this is not fair. Verse 30, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. I think about this. Jesus did not need to stop. Uh, He could have just kept going, right, because of the urgent need of Jairus and his request to heal his daughter. He could have kept pace to get there in time. But that's not what Jesus does here. Instead, he slows it down. He stops. If I were Jairus in that moment, I would be freaking out, man. I'd be, hurry, she is dying, right? You'd be frustrated. Why is Jesus stopping? My daughter is dying. She needs to be healed. Why are you stopping so that someone like her is getting healed, but not my daughter, right? It's unfair, it's wrong. I don't know what sort of person might fit that category in your life, maybe nobody, Um, but sometimes we think someone shouldn't belong and someone should, right? Each of us carry a kind of prejudice, maybe if we don't even intend to. In Christ, the thing about this story, what's so wonderful and beautiful, is that even outcasts and orphans can become sons and daughters. In God's church. In Christ, even nobodies can become somebodies who are worthy of attention and affection and love. That's the kind of beautiful story we see here this Father's Day. Well, next, the disciples question Jesus' question, who touched my garments. They have this whole crowd pressing in on them. Tons of people, right? It's like you're in a mosh pit. And everybody's just pushing on you and stuff. You just feel sweat and it's gross. You know, it's like a bunch of body heat you can't really tell who's, who's touching my garments, right? Like that, it's that kind of situation here. And um, why well, even ask the question? But Jesus is capable of discerning and singling out the one from the many. I mean, it's almost like we're meant to see the, the parable of the lost sheep, that this, this is the God who chases after the one who's lost, able to single out particularly this one to care about her, Jesus sees this woman's need and meets it with his healing power. 12 years of shame, 12 years of all of this stuff that she's dealt with, simply goes away by touching Jesus' garment. It's not fair, and yet who among us can say that God's grace is ever fair? The good news of the gospel is it's not fair, and that's exactly why it's good news for us. It's not fair. If you want fairness, you get justice. First Peter 2 says, By his wounds you have been healed. The innocent died for the guilty. The healthy traded place with the sick. The gospel is good news because God decided not to count our sins and trespasses against us. Instead, he laid it upon his son. It's not fair, but it's good. It's good for us. We need that gospel. Well, we see this it's not fair scenario play out, and I want us to now turn to that second point that I mentioned, but God is good all of the time. In this story, we see God is still good despite the circumstances happening before us. So the woman who just got healed is now singled out. She is, In fact, she's found out. Jesus asks this piercing, penetrating question, who touched me? You could probably hear a pin drop when he said those words. Who touched me? I want to say something else about this woman that we shouldn't overlook. This woman had heard about Jesus, that he was this great healer. Remember, this is a woman who had spent every single penny that she'd ever had on trying to get healed by physicians, trying to get healed by therapists, and everything else, anything that could work possibly, right? The medical system failed her. She heard people were touching Jesus and were being healed. So she seeks him out to maybe, like last straw, maybe this one chance I will be healed. Anybody notice that she didn't go to touch Jesus? She just touches his garment, his clothing. Why would she do that? I think what the text is trying to point out and tell us here is that this woman views Jesus as a practical, magical object who's going to fix her need. Like being superstitious, right, when you make a wish after blowing out your birthday candles, or um, maybe if you're a baseball fan, you see the you know, sign of the cross before you get up to the plate and you're ready to swing, right, maybe get that home run this time rubbing the, the Buddha belly, whatever it is, right? All the ways that we are superstitious and, and we think that if we just do this one thing, it's gonna work, right? But the weird thing is, in this story, touching his clothing actually worked, right? Like doing the sign of the cross before baseball, it made you hit that home run. What? It's, like, it's kind of mind-boggling here. Her 12-year-old problem went away simply by touching it, this piece of clothing, and she's cured. And Jesus says these striking words, who touched me? Not my clothing, who touched me? Those could be very frightening words. Imagine what she's thinking. Oh no, if I speak up, is Jesus going to now take this healing away like he did it by accident and I stole it from him? Like Jacob stealing his brother's blessing? Will he tell me to go away since I just made him and others in the crowd religiously unclean by even being here? right? And how does Jesus respond? Well, let's see. Verse 33, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he says to her, get away? No, sorry. He does not say that. Daughter. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Wow. Like Jairus, this woman now falls down prostrate before Jesus. She's trembling because she's singled out, called out, afraid. She tells him the whole truth, nothing but the truth. She shares how long she's tried to get better, how she's spent every penny, every dollar she's made. She's tried every essential oil, every medicine, every stretch and exercise and yoga pose, every diet. She's followed 10 healthy steps. She's read every How to Be a Better Version of You book off the top health health shelf rack at Target or wherever. And nothing worked. Nothing healed her except for Jesus. Jesus. And so his response is surprising. Instead of dishing out the punishment maybe that she's felt, that she feels she deserves more of, she doesn't get that. Instead of throwing it in her face that, well, you should have asked nicely and come to me in the proper way, maybe set up a meeting before touching me. (laughs) Like Jairus, right, asked first, begged him, got down on his knees, as religious leaders probably would have done too. Well, Jesus gives her not guilt, but grace in this story. Gives her not more law, but gospel. Good news for her. And in this moment, she is fully found out. She is fully known. And yet, even though she is fully found out and fully known, and she's shared all the whole truth, and Jesus sees her for all that she is, she is fully loved. Completely, utterly loved. Not rejected, accepted. Not cast out, but welcomed. Come in the family, daughter. It's so powerful, these kinds of stories. And we see all over the pages of the New Testament, this is the God who's a good father. This outcast woman becomes a beloved daughter. The nobody who has nobody becomes part of this family. Now she can be welcomed. She can eat bread. She can break bread together with others. And we see the real reason Jesus stops her and pauses on his trip to Jairus' his daughter is so this woman can encounter not just a something, right? He doesn't just walk away, even though he knows she's healed. That's fine. Now i got to get to the next thing and heal the next person, next up in line, right? It's not like that at all. He wants her to encounter not a something, but a someone. Not a potion that's going to fix your every need, but a person, he wants this woman not only to have her needs met, but to be in his presence, to have a relationship, to be fully known and yet fully loved. Jesus wants this encounter with you too, friend. There are many people who feel the shame that this woman lived with for years, maybe a different kind of shame, probably a different kind. But maybe you feel impure You feel guilty. We each have our own reasons. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's doubt and fear. Maybe it's a sense of just not feeling good enough, never measuring up. Got performance problems, you know. Many people feel cut out, like they don't belong. Many people feel like this woman, like an outcast, an orphan. I'll share a story um, uh, that I heard before from a friend, but... Um, It's about a cussing heroin addict who came to his church. Her name is Anne, and uh, Anne lived a very hard life. The scars and the needle streaks on her arms bore witness to that fact, very visibly. And she only came to church one Sunday because the rehab center told her to. It would be helpful. It might help you stay sober, right, help you stay clean. And so she has two boys. She drops them off at uh, children's ministry, and uh, goes to church and then comes back to pick them up. And after the service, when she's picking them up, she's informed that her boys picked fights and broke some toys. Not a great report, right, when you're in Ann's situation. Out of impulse, Ann shouts an ex- expletive. I'm not going to say it. But in front of a 100 or so kids and parents, all watching with eyes, right, she left church that day full of shame. The children's person... Director wrote Anne a letter and said no harm was done. She thanked her for wearing her heart on her sleeve because church should be a place of honesty, it should be a, a place where you can share. What was the result? Well, Anne, she came back to church after that saying, These are my people and I want their God to be my God too. She eventually became a children's nursery director years later, but that's beside the point, right? My point is the church is a place for ants, a place for people who do have shame. God is good all the time, and he's in the business of making unholy people holy. All you gotta do is touch them. All you need to do is give them your empty hand of faith, and he'll fill it with his holiness. He'll take your feelings of unworthiness and regret and replace them with worthiness through his son. What Mark's teaching us, I wish I had time to go through both stories. I only talked about one of them that are intertwined. But what he's teaching us by tying these stories together with the 12 years is that God the Father's love for us in Christ is the same as Jairus' love for his dying daughter. It's that same love that God has for this other daughter, this older woman with a 12-year problem. We're we're meant to see that parallel. We're meant to to focus in on this good father's love for his children. Watching the woman be healed of her 12-year-old disease, watching a 12-year-old rise from the dead, which is later what happens in the story as it unfolds, it shows how much this God loves children his children. Whether we're old or we're young, we're of status or we're of no importance at all, God's love for you is like a father's love for his child. It's not going away anytime. We're meant to see in this story, these intertwined narratives that Jesus is the one who's dropped his own reputation like Jairus, right? Leaving behind his status, leaving behind his religious authority. Drops it all. Gives up his status as a son to be scorned and rejected by men and by God. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And so this Jesus, he put everything on the line for us just like Jairus but Jesus went all the way to the cross as Philippians chapter two tells us. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Brothers, sisters, friends, this is what God has done for you. Receive the love of the Father this morning in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that through Jesus, cursed outsiders become blessed insiders. We thank you that you're a good, good Father who will always love us perfectly and unconditionally forever far better than our earthly fathers ever could. We thank you that you take our guilt and our shame away through the cross and resurrection of Jesus, and that by your power we are truly restored and we're made clean. Would you wash us today by the blood of Jesus and make us whole again? Would you fill those of us who have doubts, who have fears and insecurities, Would you instead replace that with faith and peace? We ask that you would heal us, Emmanuel. In
0: Christ's name we pray. Amen.